0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko, episode 5555. Five, five. So happy and glad to have you here, uh, feeling grateful. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, before uh, I go ahead, I just hope that you are safe, hope you're well. Uh, and if you hope that you, things will get better for you. Um, today, I'm excited uh, to have another amazing coffee person, um, his name is Dale Harris, and uh, he'll be joining soon. So, uh, until we are joined by him, I just wanted to let you know that I would love to see this coffee fam growing and community. So, if you feel like sharing a screenshot, a tweet, or Instagram or Facebook, we're um, always happy to see you guys tagging us. It's always good to see and build this community for coffee and not just coffee, just people who get together, share a cup of coffee, we talk, interview uh, open Q&A so if you want to share this um, please go ahead, take a screenshot of the podcast or the video or the Instagram live that you're following right now and you can just repost it on your stories, that will mean the world to me, uh, but what I'll do I'll send an invite to to Dell. I'm sure he will tune in real soon I just spoke to him, so that's good. Vag, good to see you. Coffee Junkie, what's up? It's coffee Junkie's in the house. Brew Shark is in the house. Host Consult is in the house. Vag, big, big Vag. Um, who else is here? If you're new, just drop in a quick hello. I love to, to meet up with new people. Say hello, say where are from. Say what's good, say what's up. Um, I love to hear more from you, uh, but yeah. Dale will tune in in a matter of minutes. He he talked to me just a moment ago, so we should have him uh, in a matter of time. Hey, Ki Kanata, good to see you. Lorcan Looney, good to see you. I think you're new here. Welcome. This is a podcast, a live stream where we interview mostly coffee people. Uh, We'd love to get more industries eventually. Uh, Today we're lucky to be joined by... Uh, big Dale and uh, will be will be good format usually it's an hour with allowance of obviously Q&A you from Ireland welcome Great to great to have people from from that side of the world. Uh, we are based in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia and uh, he is the man and Broomfield coffee artists and especially coffee roasters, based in London. Good to see you and That's all welcome Dale You go. Man. <laughs> how are you? Fantastic. How are you traveling, I'm sir?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I uh, it is the start of my day, so you
0: know. It's the tail weekend. end of mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is is it a good one? Was Wednesday good?
0: My day is good. Oh yeah, th- th- it's always good. Um, Melbourne just got hit by the second wave. I'm sure that you've heard all about it uh, from the. Uh, so-called media, so, but we, I can't complain, man. I got a roof, I got water, essentials, and I'm here, which is an honor. So, I mean, big thank you, uh, big gratitude for you to pop in and give us an hour of your time. And how, how are you and your family
1: doing? Uh, uh, we're all really good, actually. So, like, you know, this is a terrible situation for everyone. I've been really lucky. You know, my, my family is safe for well. They're all in a good place. My team, uh, my employees and the business, we're all finding ways through and, you know, none of it's great, but it could all be a lot worse. And, you know, I feel 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 blessed and kind of privileged that I'm able to keep doing what I do.
0: You know? 100%. I think for the ones who have had that health and financial uh, sort of, I suppose, Good enough or balanced, uh, it's actually a good opportunity to pick up uh, new things and be able to, you know, especially in privileged countries like Australia, you feel me, you know, it's like we got the job keeper and job seeker, we got welfare payments, we got a whole bunch of different elements, so it's great, like for me it was an opportunity to create these live streams and I've been blessed, so I'm in that privileged position and I'm aware of it, so my heart mostly goes to the ones who can't afford even a roof on their heads anywhere in the world so for sure we are the lucky ones but look we will getting too, uh, too <laughs> in the darkness <laughs> um look uh, i'm sure you've answered this question a zillion times but just to give some context uh, could you kindly tell the audience that people are going to re-watch and listen to this um how did you start your coffee journey how did you get started
1: uh, there so i think i think most people who work in coffee it was an accident right you know they they were pursuing something else they were studying something and then they had a great experience and you know maybe started working in a cafe for to pay the bills and ended up falling in love um and i was kind of different to that because i had not a great job but i had a good job uh doing something else it was similar so it was uh it was working in retail selling clothes uh for a company i loved brand i loved um Really good job, really exciting opportunities. And then that company had some problems uh, with its liquidation. You know, big surprise, went into work on a Thursday and the doors were locked kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) So from that point, I I took another job doing something similar for a different brand that I didn't love. Uh, And it was a great brand, great company, but it was, you know, talking to someone in, in in melbourne or australia is different but it was billabong uh so okay. you know, beautiful surfwear streetwear whatever and i'm not a surfer i've never surfed i love the idea of it but i've never <laughs> made the first kind of leaps. so i was missing something i was like i knew that there was a quality of product but because it didn't personally resonate with it i found it really difficult and up until that point, I thought I was a great salesperson and I could do anything. And I just, I came to the realization that unless it's something I love, it's, a, it's not that it's a waste of time, but that it's missing something that's really important to me. And so I had to work really hard to think about what do I want from life? What do I want to do next? Coffee was a, was a personal kind of passion, a hobby. And we're talking, you know, very much a home barista. You know, I had a a very cheap espresso machine. I was reading all the blogs. Uh, This was a long time ago, so there was like uh, altstock coffee and AOL kind of forums, and that was what I was doing in my spare time and what I really enjoyed. So, how do I make this my real life? And so. My initial dream was, you know, set up a cafe that, that matches what I was seeing uh, on blogs or on videos from across the world, but that I couldn't reach in the UK at that time. Cause I was, you know, I've, I've never lived in London. Uh, I was very much uh, in like the rural kind of countryside, long way away from, from many big cities. Uh, so I didn't have access to great coffee uh, so I was like, oh, I, I should definitely set up a cafe. And if I'm going to set up a cafe, well, you know, maybe I should start working in a cafe first, you know, learn, learn what it is before I make that leap. And so I got a job working for a chain, uh, you know, wiping tables and working as a barista. Um, and it was meant to be like my, my learning period, my apprenticeship <laughs> before I did something else. And I've never opened that cafe there's always been a different adventure, kind of one more step, one more thing I need to learn. Um, so I worked for, I worked in uh, in a chain for a couple of years. I went from, you know, wiping tables, making coffee, eventually managing a few stores. Uh, and through that experience, I learned a lot, but I also realized that I'd stopped learning about coffee and was back learning things about, you know, how to, I had to manage staff holidays and rotors and you know i don 't know the pastry fridge and <laughs> all, all the little things that go into running a shop, but I am yeah. coffee so then I looked for an opportunity. I started working as a like a regional trainer for a, for a really big company um, in the u k that supplied machines to to mcdonald's. They did the servicing for Starbucks, uh, but they also had a large coffee supply to kind of catering companies and things like that. So I progressed through that company. Uh, and that was probably an essential step because I was learning about coffee, but I was part of, part of a wider team. And there was resource there to, uh, and a lot of trust. So they let me pursue things like barista competition, to learn more, to meet new people, to work at trade shows, which, you know, I hate trade shows. They're really hard work. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love uh, trade shows. but anyway, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Uh. I love, I love aspects of them, but the reality of, uh, the reality of there being lots of people in a room who want to sell things, and a lot of people in a room who want to buy things. <laughs> oh, I find it horrific. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to chat about coffee. Um, but it was a fast track to meeting people and really growing. Um, I grew through that company, competed uh, a couple times uh, with them. And then I met Steve, uh, who, who owned and set up Hasby. Uh, so I met him through one of those competitions. We started kind of sharing ideas. And there was this opportunity to join a really small company uh, and we're still a really small company. So I think at that time, we maybe had 10 employees. And now we have, I don't know, 20, 25. Still- uh, and like, there was an opportunity to start to effectively develop their wholesale offering and uh, work with cafes and be part of something that was really driving coffee forward in a really particular way. Uh, so I left at that opportunity, and I've been there ever since. So it's ten, 10 years now, just over, uh, that I've worked here. Um, and I've done a little bit of everything, but, you know.
0: But, but, and how important is this in terms of finding what you love, right? Because it's actually one of the questions, but you kind of jump right into it. And it was the core of what you did, right? It's like a lot of people just think in terms of, which is fine, but safety, what's meant to be good, what, you know, like what you know i'm jumping through the that question but what 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 kind of word of advice would you give to people who are stuck in that situation in that good job in that degree and then and then one day they wake up and like do i actually want to be a dentist or i'm going to hate my life for being a dentist already put in two years of my life like 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 but but then or or someone in finance who hates hates it, it's too much stressful, can't sleep at night. But then on the weekend, he loves baking. And baking is where his zen is, or her zen is. And I'm like, how important is actually to cultivate? I mean, you were a home barista. So I think that's, that's, that, that, that was one of your passions, maybe one of your rituals.
1: So, and, you know, whenever, whenever we think about things like this, there, there is a flip side. Of course. Uh, when... When your hobby becomes your job, it changes it. And you stop getting pleasure in the same way. Um, and actually, a lot, of, a lot of our business is supplying coffee to, to people at home. You know, even more so right now. But uh, that was the founding kind of dream of, of Steve's business was people like me who love coffee, where do they get good ingredient from? So maybe pre-COVID, maybe... 50, 60% of our business was online retail, um, which makes us really strange and allows us to do loads of really, uh, yes, bag, I miss barista life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I peed that because uh, I, I was going to go there later, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. So when, when your hobby becomes your job, you, it changes it and you lose some of, the, some of the things you took joy from, but you get other Things from it. I I don't think it's the right choice for everyone, and I think some people are really comfortable. Sometimes I think it's more healthy with having a separation where they do this for forty hours. It pays them X amount of money, and that can be a lot of money or not a lot of money, but that allows them to do other things in their life, and that's super cool. Um, but if what you're doing hurts you, and again this privileged thing to say not everyone has those opportunities but if you have the opportunity to do something that doesn't hurt or doesn't diminish you then I think it's almost essential that you do
0: just for health reasons just for and both mental and physical too
1: yeah yeah like for for six months I had a job where every day was a slog I woke up and I didn't want to go there and You know, I still worked hard, I still tried to put in as much effort as I could and to deliver on what was being expected of me, but it was burning me out and definitely hurting me and diminishing me as a person. I didn't have the capacity to, I didn't have the extra energy to be creative or think about it in new exciting ways because I was just just doing what was expected. Whereas I started working in coffee and the whole world was open. I could learn anything. I could uh, push it in different directions and that makes you want to push, you know, and a little bit of it is the difference between school when you're at school and you don't have a choice and you have to do lessons you like and lessons you don't like, and maybe university or later, later in life when you go on and you actively choose. So I'm, I'm, right at the beginning, but I'm taking Spanish lessons. And it's really difficult, but it's not hard because it's, um, it's somewhere I want to be. I'm getting pleasure and joy from the challenge. So it's a different experience than having to learn French or Latin as part of your, your education, you know?
0: And I think a law has, has to be an entanglement with purpose, right? Yeah, In the sense of, um, Me and a maid were discussing the whole concept of 30-day challenge. I think a 30-day challenge itself lacks of something if you just write it up because then you're kind of looking forward to finishing. So, for instance, let's say the cold shower challenge, right? Yeah. Someone like Greta Thunberg would have that as a pinpointed or pinned accessory to her overall mission because cold showers also represent saving energy and being good for the environment, less water wastage. Yeah. Versus you going ahead with different things without purpose, then it makes it, it's unpleasant. So for you, Spanish, I'm assuming it makes sense because you deal with a lot of farmers and a lot of uh, producers and a lot of people who speak Spanish as well. So there's also a little bit of purpose behind learning Spanish, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that for me is... Uh, less so in, my, you know, less so in my, my day job, but more when I've traveled and when I'm uh, talking at barista events and things like that. Uh, I've been in a couple situations where I've been the only uh, English speaker in a, in a hall, in a conference. Uh, I, was, I was actually at a – I was doing a, a food event in Cuba. And in the evening, as part of that food event, it was, uh, we were invited to the Spanish ambassador's residence and all these chefs and all these people. And I'm walking around this beautiful garden and everywhere around me, there are people having great conversations that I was excluded from. You know, I, I knew nothing of what was going on. And number one, it makes you think, you know, we're so, like, the whole world is so English focused. There's so much uh, freedom in that, in being able to talk to almost anyone and they'll understand you and you'll learn something. But you also miss something along the way by not, uh, not being able to engage with people and the way they speak. Uh, there's an obstacle created. Um, and I didn't want, I don't want to be stuck in that situation, you know, and it's gonna take me four or five years for that to be not a problem anymore <laughs> you know yeah. but that's a that feels like a worthy investment so that i don't feel like that again and so that i get to learn and i get to grow um sorry all the notifications keep pushing up that's okay I'm, uh, I'm, 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 i think in terms of purpose uh so there's there's a book by daniel pink called drive and it says that most people are motivated by three things, uh, which is mastery, autonomy, and purpose. You know, you want to feel that you're good at what you do. You want to feel that you have control over how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, or at least an element and a feeling of it. Uh, but you want it to be for something. And, you know, through through my life, I, I definitely had, you know, ebbs and flows of really feeling engaged with what I'm doing. Uh, And sometimes it's about you, it's sometimes it's about changing your perspective on what you do. Sometimes other things in your life are really hard so you you begin to lose your way, you you can't quite see it. Uh, And that's the hard thing is determining whether it's, whether it's real or whether it's not. And I think always it's a little bit about the story you tell yourself. And as long as you can believe in that story, it doesn't matter whether it's true. But if you can't believe in it, then that's a bad place to be. Uh, I also think money is very transitory. You know, it comes, it goes, whatever you've got, you spend, or you find ways of using, and you you normalize really quickly um, to whatever you have. You know, and right now, everybody is is doing that. And it's not easy, but... You adapt to your situation. You adapt to what you have. You find ways. And so chasing money, particularly like lots of money, like very few people in coffee are uh, crazy rich, right? Uh, probably no one. <laughs> uh, I think.
0: Well, unless, unless we're talking about big chains of coffee.
1: But, you know, even then, the, the corporation <laughs> might, be, might be really wealthy. Uh, maybe there's one or two people at the top but they have their own problems. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to solve anything. Um, and in terms of making a change, you said you know, if somebody's you know, qualified as a dentist and they're doing it and they hate it, all of that effort that they put in, all of that uh, time is gone. They can't get it back whether they use it or not. It's a, it's a sunk cost that got you so far, but if it's not put you in the right place, there's no point uh, factoring every future decision Based on the mistakes or the decisions you made in the past, you know, and, and that can be true right now. So, you know, if uh, if things within my job right now or within coffee even stop, stop giving me joy or stop giving me enough reason to go, there's, there's this mountain to climb or there's this journey to go on, uh, it doesn't matter what I have here, I should leave it behind. Yeah, it's my perspective. Not not right for everyone, but
0: of course. Oh yeah, this is these are conversations, and these are obviously things that we we share. And I think at the end of the day, my purpose of this doing this is just adding value to at least one person. And even if that one person is either me or you, or uh, you know, vague or whoever it is, or a person is going to listen to it in a week time, um, I think something that I've been really blessed with because no parents are perfect, but what I always loved about my parents is that whatever I would tell them with, they might share their opinion, not impose it, share it. But the last sentence would always be, are you happy, right? And I know that happiness is a big conversation and a big topic, and there's a lot of meaningful and non-meaningful stuff in it to define it. But the translation is like, okay, Are you happy to stay in Australia for nine years by yourself? If that gives you joy and purpose and drive, fine. I think it's important. You know, when I I told my mom, and she's a teacher, that I wasn't going to pursue my studies, I wasn't going to uni because personally, I saw uni as a limiting amount of doors for me because I'm a people person. For me, I was more about I can't pinpoint something. At one stage, I wanted the doctor, and then I watched the video for of a autopsy, and I was like, "Uh, bye bye, that's it, that's it, that, that, not happening." Um, so I was like, and then it hit me. I was like, "If I go narrow it down, a lot of doors are going to close." Yeah. And what I learned um, is that ultimately, it we're so people focused, so people driven. A lot of industries are that that personality factor, those people skills and the actual work experience comes in more handy than a lot of things. Obviously uni is essential for a lot of jobs, surgeons, doctors, engineers, architects. I get it. Um, But then my mom was like, you know, she put her ego on the side because she's a teacher. She, she studied for a living, right? She loves it. And she just said, are you happy? And I was like, yeah, happy with my decision. I went, started working in wine, and then I came to Australia a year later. So, yeah. So that that I think that's another element to it as well. If you can't sleep at night, uh, you're a little bit in trouble, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, thanks for sharing that. I think we went, we, we went in a in a perfect path, which is organic and natural. Um, and I know a few people might want to hear more about whatnot. But I think the per the perfect question is this. The other element to consider is that the industry has a vast amount of jobs available within any industry how important is to choose the one the right one and i think starting from washing dishes it it really helps to start the foundation but also to kind of understand that there's different avenues you don't have to become a barista champion we're gonna touch base on that because i'm sure people want to hear about you in 2017 but like you don't have to become a roaster you can become a coffee blogger, you can become a coffee writer, you can become a coffee photographer. You can become, how important is to define that and what's your core passion?
1: So, I think one of the joys of coffee and one of the reason why, why it attracts so many kind of diverse people with different backgrounds and ideas, particularly so, uh, if you talk to if you talk to baristas about what they studied at school, you find out that there are all kinds of people. There are people who studied architecture, there are people who studied medicine, there are people who, you know, wanted to act and wanted to, uh, or were to chefs or whatever. Um, coffee is one of those things, and there are, there are lots of other things. But it's it's a product that connects so many different worlds. Uh, it connects people, uh, or just that very basic idea of taste, uh, the, the cafe in particular attracts, uh, that kind of social aspect, people who want to spend time with other people. Um, you know, right now we're, it's really clear that there's a difference, uh, between the experience of drinking coffee and the experience of having coffee in a cafe and i think it is a really healthy thing to to understand or separate that you the ex, the experience of being in a cafe can be good regardless of the quality of coffee you know you can have exceptional coffee at home that is missing something uh, because you're not surrounded by other people also enjoying it or the conversations uh particularly the conversations not about coffee you know, it it exists as one aspect of a of an environment, as a universe or whatever. When you're making coffee at home, uh, it can be really pure. It can be about, you know, when I was a home barista, uh, when I was first starting, it was very much about physical skill and understanding that if I did something differently, I could control the result, which is the same as, you know, home baking or, or anything like that. When you where you understand the the relationship between what you do and the results you get and that you can change it really quickly and it makes things better for you. That's a, that's a wonderful thing that you can fall in love with for forever. Um, for me, the, the passions that I find in coffee, one is sharing with people. So I love, I love talking to people about their Flavor experience what they're tasting where those flavors have come from not so much about right answers so it doesn't need to be that we agree on what something tastes of but when you're talking about flavor and somebody thinks something tastes something different and you talk about why that can be incredible that can open up stories from their life different things they've tasted things you've never tasted it can it can be a gateway to understanding other people and it can be a gateway to, to sharing your, your wider ideas. You know, be that, you know, big things like your purpose, what you think coffee is for, what you think service is for, or it can be really small things like, yeah, you know, like I really dig this coffee. I'm not sure why, this is, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, and um, Vag just asked, uh, thanks for that. Uh, what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago when you started your coffee career? She's a great question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually think I did pretty well without too much advice. <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that anything would have really uh, would have really helped more than maybe maintaining uh, a really open attitude. You know, you cannot predict the future, you cannot, you cannot really choose what's gonna be the most valuable thing. Um, and if we look at competition, you know, there are, competition was really valuable to me, uh, is a really good way of learning and pushing myself forward, uh, or pushing myself into difficult situations to learn, grow. Um, everything that went wrong in competitions for me in the past, Help me when I succeeded. And I couldn't, I, I definitely believe that I would not have won WBC or succeeded at WBC had I not made all the mistakes I'd made the years before. So even if I'd have made it to, uh, what, uh, Dublin was the year before. So had I made it to Dublin, I do not believe I would have won because I needed to make the mistakes that I made that year to think about coffee in a different way, to, to learn a few more things to help me succeed the next year. And that's really hard because that suggests that all you need to do is just keep going. And I love the, you know, and I have this conversation with lots of people and they go, you oh, know, it's, you know, persistence. Oh, you know, a great story of just working through it. Um, and I don't think that's the right solution. I don't think everybody should just keep working forever. It's something that has no guaranteed result. Um, winning and success and all those things are a uh, they're almost an an unintended byproduct of what you're really succeeding with, what you're really learning <laughs> you know the, you can't control what a judge or and you know this isn't just competition it's uh, what an employer like a potential employer or a customer you can't control their Reaction to what you do, but you can control what you do, and you can be more mindful, and you can get better at controlling and ensuring that everything you do is intentional.
0: That's right. There's so little that you can. There's a lot you can control, but there's so little that you can actually control. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it, and uh, I think what you say about the product is just. It just hit home run, as well as what you said. Like, it's not for everyone. And I think I'm, I'm going to ask a couple of questions around competitions later, because I know there's people going to. I, I know they want it. I can go deep philosophical, but I know they want it. Uh, but where are at the halfway mark? And usually, ask the out of the box question to all my all the people that come on here. Um, if you could, sorry, coffee is being brewed, which is that's great. okay. <laughs> it's a it's a good it's a good time. Um, if you could. Who would you like to have dinner with? And it doesn't have to be coffee. Anyone?
1: So, right now, uh, because I'm playing with lots of uh, lots of silly things and uh, drink-related things, uh, I'd like to have dinner with a guy called Dave Arnold, who uh, used to Primarily writes about cocktails and works with drinks and with uh, creates weird things for food and weird things for for beverage creation. Um, he wrote a really good book called Liquid Intelligence and has run some some pretty cool uh, bars and projects. Um, he's somebody that I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning a lot from right now. And I'd love to just ask all those other questions that you don't get from the books or from the blogs or whatever, like, yeah, but really, like, how do we do this? And, um, <laughs> honestly, like, what, and again, this ties to being open, it's like, there are so many people I'd like to spend more time with, uh, so many people I'd like to ask questions of. And most of them are people we, we don't know, right? It's being open to, and one of the great things, particularly about working in a cafe, is you're surrounded by people with stories, with experiences, and you know, it's at 4 p.m., it's been a quiet day, someone comes in, or like the, the rush is over and you're making coffee and there's someone right in front of you. And sometimes it doesn't need to be about the product. You can just be personable and you can ask some of those questions and it's amazing what you learn from people that you bump into. Um, well, like one of the things, uh, you know, I'm naturally shocked. Like it's really easy to talk to coffee people. Uh, they're my kind of tribe and my community. Every time I'm on a plane, uh, I want to get better at asking the person next to me questions. Every time that I have the, the guts or the willingness to do it, I get something good out of it. But there's always the fear, particularly on a long flight. You know, you start a conversation that never ends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a Seinfeld episode, But yes, It's like, I just stuck there for 16 hours. I catch you. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we are hospitality people, but then certain scenarios, certain situations, certain bad experiences have scarred us and they have made us a little bit more cautious and, and that's okay like you say you're working on it and you know i'm sure you catch enough planes i mean before covid uh, to practice I
1: remember, and back in the day <laughs>
0: it's a <laughs> it's a constant practice isn't it you know it's like uh, being comfortable in video be comfortable at riding or anything and it's a constant practice speaking of which practice going back on the competition i mean you said it competing is not a stroll in the park um both mentally and physically even financially if you allow me uh, I'll let you have a sponsor um, what would you say to people who want to get into it and people who are sort of new to it but they've already started one or two comps in
1: so every every country is a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. the resources the uh, what the challenge of competition looks like so there are countries like Australia and China where you know the competition is huge um has has real impact there are big regionals uh so the the cost is higher in the u.s as well um the cost shouldn't be a limiting factor uh because there are always people that will help if you ask for help um the hardest the hardest step with competition is doing the first one but it's also the easiest step because there's no expectations. The the pressure mostly comes from the competitor. Because the judges, uh I've never I don't want to say I've never had a bad experience with a judge. I probably have, but the judges are there to support the competition and the competitors. They want everyone to succeed, be it your first time or that you've been doing it for five, 10 years. They give up their time, they give up their energy because they think that system of competition is good for the industry, is good for coffee generally. Um, So the judges aren't against the competitor. The nature of competition, not just barista competition, but anything, if it's gymnastics or a football game, it's just a game. And some you win, some you lose but you don't get very good unless you play, you know, and you can do all the drills and you can be the best at making coffee in the world and never compete. Um, It's not about being the best at making coffee, you know, because it's different. It's an artificial situation that uses some of the skills that we, that we use in a store, some of the skills we use when we're making coffee at home and puts them on a stage. Uh, And it tests different parts of you. So I'd say, if you love coffee, if you love making coffee, uh, but you're not a super confident person, competition can be a really good way of turbocharging, you learning the skills to speak publicly, even speak to customers uh, in a more intentional way. Um, It forces you to think about what you're doing in terms of technical skills, but also how you talk to people when you talk, when you listen, when, you, when you're quiet, so you can let other people absorb stuff. Um, and all of those are skills that, whether or not you su- succeed in that competition or in competition later on, have value. Just like you said, uh, for you know, a lot of the skills you, you learn in coffee or in a service job will help you in lots of other aspects, you know, uh, again, Different countries are different, but in the in the healthcare system in the U.S., a doctor is not just a a doctor, but is sometimes a salesperson, right? You know, yep. part of their job is 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 selling and communicating with customers. And actually, regardless of money, a really good surgeon or a really good architect is also needs to be personable, needs to understand how to communicate. Their skills that last way beyond anything you do in coffee, um, and for me, the greatest uh, value of the competition is that it gives you a, a fixed structure to work against. So you if you're working in any business, you know, I, I primarily, I, I work in a roastery that sells coffee and it's what you call uh, an infinite game. So it's never gonna end You know, I might leave the company, somebody else might come in or, you know, 10 more people may join my team. The game, the nature of the game can change a lot. Uh, Another role street could open in the same industrial state as me or with the same kind of philosophy or logo. They may do better, they may do worse, whatever, but there's no way into it. You know, and every day there's a few more problems, some you solve, some you don't. Um, I think... Competition is a finite game. So you know that for three months, for six months, you're going to be focused on something. There's an end to it. And when there's an end to it, it's really easy to, or it's a little easier to apply, maybe not cost, but or not monetary cost, but energy effort, because there's a finish line that you get at And you can push really hard as you get closer and closer to that line. And then you can stop and you can regroup and you can think about it um not every competition i competed in was a happy story all the way through there were definitely like emotional highs and lows throughout and particularly when you get to that finish line if you don't succeed not necessarily in results though that can be really draining as you think you should have done better than you did um and that's like a low that you have to get over uh But also if you aimed to do something and you didn't quite deliver on that, that can be a real blow. But that's a learning experience too. And it is that getting back up. And if you don't compete that first time, you never get that opportunity to fall down. And then it's easy to, oh, competition isn't for me, or competition isn't valuable because you haven't experienced it. Um, I'd much rather everybody had an opportunity to compete once and just try it on for size, see how it works. It's one of the things that, um, you know, I dislike latte at throwdowns for two reasons. One, I'm not very good at it. You know, it's not, it's not my thing. Uh, I wish I was good at it, you know, and it's something that I always think, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll start putting a little more effort into, into really developing that skill. Um, I also dislike it that, you know, it's an excuse for us all to get together normally late at night so that we can spend time together. You know, the the pouring of patterns is rarely the reason we're there. Uh, and I, sometimes I hate this fact that, oh, we all need an excuse to get together. Maybe we should just get together. You know, we don't need to be making drinks all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's but... a good point. <laughs> a latte throwdown, a cup in competition, uh, even a pub quiz, you know, any of these things that Get you working with a team and thinking from that perspective. Are good processes to go through to get towards something else, you know. And you try it on for size, and you learn a little bit along the way, and then you go, "What would I do differently next time?" Or how would I test myself differently
0: next time? It's 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 a it's a co- it's a constant construction site, isn't it? Because ultimately, a the competition, it's a it's it's not a landing point it's a it's not like this it's 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 a departure right because even after winning then a lot of things happening or even after losing it's a constant working because then then the bubble pops and you go back at wholesale roaster barista yeah. yara 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 um so i i just admire the fact that i, I think your emphasis on just do and compete just almost like not to get it out of the way, but just to understand whether it's your jam or not, because you might hate it. Or, and also, it allows more and more people to be more comfortable at giving it a go. And that's why I like the rising of any age competitors and much more more female representation across a fairly, fairly new competition anyway, because uh, WBC hasn't been along 200 years so yep. in 100 years time it's going to be a different beast, a different animal so I think you're right just just give it a go and I think it, it, the structure and the discipline does do come in from the tribe so it's like I think often competition as well as opening a cafe are very romanticized it's when you start from the dirty side streets, corners on both ends that you get a taste, and then you start building on it. So yeah. wash the dishes before you open a cafe. Start with some little competitions, whether it's online or whatnot, or compete with yourself first in the mirror before yeah. you even dream of holding the trophy that you held in 2017. Yeah. I think those are essential. Uh, and just a couple of quick questions. Uh, I think Herman Bell asking, Dale, when was it your first time to compete? Or how was it your first time to compete? I think it's an incomplete question. So,
1: first time I competed was 2000, 2009. Yep. Uh, I'd watched, I had seen, or I had an understanding of Borussia competition as a thing from maybe 2006, 2007. I had seen aspects of it and things I was reading. And, 2008, I watched the, the national finals in the UK uh, and it was in a catering equipment trade show. It was a little smaller at that time, but I, from watching it in person, I, I maybe understood it a little better than when you see it through, particularly now. So if you, if your only experience of competition is through the pretty slick, videography from every national competition you know they all look like huge events it looks like there's so much lighting and camera work and pressure but then when you actually go to some of the particularly regional competitions you'll see that actually it's in the corner of a room there's 20 people watching it's it's a big deal for us but it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things and it makes it feel a little more accessible and a little more realistic to try my first competition was a, was a regional in the UK. There were maybe 12 people competing. I am still really close friends with, I don't know, six, seven people that I met either at that competition or once I'd registered for it. In the process of registering for it, there was like a, a little Facebook group. So I was chatting to a couple of the competitors and volunteers. Uh, actually, Matt. Uh, Matt North, who's on there, who's a, who's a really close and old friend. Yes, Matt. I think I met... I'm not sure whether I met Matt for the first time at the competition. I think just before they did a, like a barista jam kind of warm-up educational thing, and I met him there. Uh, but I could reel off the names of like the people who competed that day. Some did well, some didn't. I did well enough. You know, and I think... One of the great privileges was that first competition when I wasn't really experienced. I didn't have a great understanding of coffee. Uh, I had a pretty good understanding of how to make coffee on a machine. And I'd seen enough videos or enough people doing it uh, that I understood the structure a little bit. I came, I don't know, second in my regional. I do know, I, I remember it really well, but I came second in my regional, it was probably lucky rather than skilled, but it meant that during my feedback uh, from the judges, uh, I was in a really positive place. It was like, I'd done better than I expected. I learned some things along the way. There were some clear mistakes I'd made that I could learn from and do better. So that put me in a really positive place to go forward Uh, because it was like, okay, I can do this, I can definitely do it better if I work harder at X, y and Z um, and I think one of the great one of the great uh, realities of the judging community is they tend to be uh, really supportive of new competitors, really honest and uh, there is a standard that is expected there yes. is a you know and Anybody at any level of competition, they'll look at their scores and they always feel a little mean because the scoring scale starts at unacceptable and unacceptable, acceptable, average. And what is average? Which gives you two points out of six, which feels really hurtful. You know, no one wants to be average, but average is what most people are. You know, that is is the standard in the world is average. And when somebody scores your milk drink, a two for visuals or a two for flavor, it's not a damning criticism. It's not you're useless, you don't have it in you, but it feels like that. Um, what they're saying is, you know, I could have got that in any cafe. In a good cafe, that's what I'd, I'd have been served most of the time. <clears throat>
0: That opens up a can of words for another episode around self-esteem and ego and, you know, like society. Su- it's such a, there are so many faces of this in many aspects of society with, you know, the negative side of social media, body image, etc. Like I think taking criticism is so essential, like taking feedback is so essential, yet so difficult in this day and age. And I wonder why. And I think that you and I would have to brew this up uh, over a second episode so you're committing to come on here in a couple of months maybe um but i really want to ask you a question because it's the hour fluid nine minutes left first and foremost because instagram just chop it at uh, 30 seconds countdown and then it's like <laughs> see you later so first of all thank you I'll, I'll shoot you through a dm um keep the thanks quick and easy but i know this is a topic that dear to you dear to me we give coffee for granted be, yeah, between you know, the, the price crisis, climate change, it's a risk. It's undeniable risk. It's undeniable under price and climate change. Whether we like it or not, stuff is happening that far, at farmers can see. Yeah. Um, what could be the single most effective action or change that someone could do to help the whole ecosystem?
1: A barista
0: or a consumer? Probably consumer because the small. I
1: think consumer and, ideas. yes. So but. as a barista, uh, one of the things that I, that I talk about a lot is you have power to influence consumers. You oh, know, yeah. you are, particularly in, in someone with a strong cafe culture where people are buying coffee from baristas, they're buying it by the car, you have that opportunity to help them understand the value of coffee, to give them a really good experience that adds value. Um, the world has changed. You know, the world changed really quickly three, four months ago. And what we what happens in the future is a choice. It doesn't need to be what it was before. Uh, we can set new rules and we can do them completely independently of other people. Um, one of the big one of the big problems we have in coffee and in business generally is Businesses are fighting to, to achieve value for themselves. And normally the, there is a bit of a race to the bottom in that, that if you can lower your cost or lower your price point, you suck up more value and your business gets stronger than your competitors. Right? But that's a really bad system when all of the value that we have, all of our wages, all of our nice cafes, our nice equipment, all of it is paid for from the effort of not just the farmer, but the farm laborer. All of it is, all of that value comes from work that's done at Origin. And I don't want to get diverted, but if we look at kind of uh, the questions that have been not raised for the first time, but the priority of thinking about them has been raised because of Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. There's so much, there is systemic inequality in coffee. Doesn't matter how good we are, doesn't matter how well-intentioned we are, our entire industry is built on a model that extracts value from, literally from places, from soil, rips that value out and repackages it so that we can sell a nice cappuccino and get a bit more money for our marketing budget so we can sell another cappuccino tomorrow. And we need to change. Yeah. That, need t- that's to change perfectly said. Yeah. And... Whenever you look at a graph or a diagram of where the value is, you know, and this is what the consumer often does is, oh, why am I paying $5 for a cappuccino when I know it costs 30 cents to make it? And they miss, and it's really hard and uncomfortable to communicate. Well, there's the rent and there's the staff wages, and actually there's a reason why only a small amount of that value goes back to the, the producer or whatever. Like, there's lots of costs involved in selling a cup of coffee. If we, if we could increase the value that we're charging for coffee and paying for coffee and keep that additional value and pass it all the way back, an extra five cents makes a real difference if it goes all the way back. The problem is how do you transparently and honestly share that all the way through? And we need so much more clarity, so much more honesty in how we structure our business, structure our building to make that happen, and, uh, structure our, uh, uh, the economics of coffee to make that happen. They're really difficult questions. There is no one answer that will solve it, but we need to be using this opportunity we have as we rebuild to rebuild in a way that matches our values and our purpose. You know, We can bring it back to all those things we were talking about at the beginning. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah so uh my business uh has been is we are not focused on the best coffee in the world you know the best coffee in the world is just like the best wine in the world is the most expensive the fancy thing the thing that everyone's talking about this week and then next week it's something different and there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) but there isn't something innately valuable in that for me as a person uh our business focuses on relationships So we buy from uh, very roughly from 30 to 40 different families, people, companies each year. Uh, That's our coffee supply. And each year we want to put a little more value towards those people so that they can invest a little more in improving quality that we benefit from. You know, it should be a cycle where our work supports their work that supports our work, you know. (laughs) Um, and one of the things that I love about that, that model that, that we built for our company and for our customers is that that's a model that any other company can take and do in their way with their producers and create value for themselves. That doesn't hurt my value, but reinforces their business and find a different group of producers. You know, one of the challenges in coffee is because there's so many small businesses and we're all looking for easy answers, we all tend to buy the same coffees from the same 50 people. And there's literally thousands of farms that have the capacity to produce great quality coffee, better quality coffee than they're producing right now. If they have a champion, if they have a supporter in a business, in a barista, in a, in a customer, um, we want customers, consumers to be part of that journey. Yeah. we need them to because they're the people who pay for everything so we need to tell that story more honestly with more clarity we need to be really honest about where their money goes and how much of it gets to the, the people that we're talking about supporting um, and we need to we need to make change now like it's not enough to have good intentions if the work we're doing today doesn't support that we need to change the work we're doing today not in a year's time. Not when we can afford it no. No.
0: On that note, I think that, there's not much I can top there. I, I, I. You just said it beautifully, and I think, aside from the fact that we got a minute and ten seconds left, I, I think that it also comes down to how the consum- how we you know, offer that to consumer, the overall experience, the people connection, the you know, make their day, and show them the value, I think there's a lot of companies that are doing it well, on a marketing point of view, there's a company that's doing toilet paper, and I receive this, is the only spam email that I receive and I don't flag a it spam is from who gives a crap, it's called, and yeah. like, I'm sure you know them, and I'm sure there's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know them but I'm, I'm literally just a customer and I think that how it's projected and how clear it is and transparent uh, i mean to a degree i don't want to get into that detail that company it's, it's super important like you said so on that note um yeah thank you dale that was amazing uh, i barely read my question which is my favorite part so when i do interviews when i don't need to read questions it's so super organic if it wasn't that's still okay but yeah we have 28 seconds left uh, thank Sorry. you it was such a pleasure
1: any questions that, that you have that you did that you wanted to ask you didn't get to, or any of the ones from from the guys and girls watching, um, send me a DM with a list of them, and I'll fire you back something written, and then you can you can post it later. It's legend. Uh, it was really cool to talk to you and to to you know to go. a yes. different audience in a different time. Zone. But, well, I know.
0: <laughs> thank you, buddy. You're legend. <laughs>